This week on the National Talkie League, we talk about how to get some drivers off of the road. We talk about some horrible tax cuts. And we take on the beast that is public arts in the city of Calgary. This is Two Guys with Strong Opinions, Loosely Held. You're listening to the National Talkie League. National Talkie League. So much to do and talk about on this episode of the National Talking League podcast. I'm Roger Kincaid, Dave Ware, buddy, buddy. Wow. Um, but th- there's just, I'm, this is a, this is a podcast that I come to with like legitimate anger. And I'm going to say this and we're going to get to it at some point in the podcast. But for the first time in my life, I'm actually contemplating moving out of Canada. Wow. Mm-hmm. Wow. That sounds serious. Yeah, it's weird, right? I mean, for all the the the, the shit and the and stuff that's going on south of the border, um, I still think America's got it together in a lot of ways. Plus, I'm a white guy. Like, what do I care? But um, <laughs> you know, there's I just think there's more opportunity in in other places. And um, with the, the latest announcement from the finance minister that you know they're gonna start taxing people like you and me at a different rate that, that, uh, uh, and, and companies like the one I'm trying to start at a different rate. It just sort of seems like why, why am I staying here? Why don't I just go somewhere where I'm going to be able to do better for myself and my family and the community around me? I hear you, man. And I, I'm also here for you. So my question for you is, is, uh, are you hot about this right now? Do you want to get into this? Do you want to clear your throat on this right now? I'll, t- I'll tell you what. Let's do this. Let's just ease into the episode a little bit. I shouldn't. Have, I shouldn't have started with the anger. You know, it's sort of like when when someone says, "Hey, how you doing?" You're supposed to say, "Great. How are you?" You're not supposed to say, "Well, a little bursitis in the knees really slowing me down." Right? And that's what I just did there effectively. So I'm going to pump the brakes. Let's <laughs> set up the podcast a little bit and have some good times, and then I'll clear my throat. Does that sound like a, a fair deal? That sounds fabulous. Um, yeah, most of the stuff that uh, I think we're planning on talking about tonight is all sort of like public related things or things that happen out there. Not a lot of uh, exceptionally personal stuff this week. And that's okay too. Yeah, no, I totally agree. Um, I, <laughs> I, I had, we had an, I had an idea. Um, it's not really my idea. It's kind of like, uh, what would you call it, Dave? Because we're not. We- <laughs> I don't like to take credit for things that are, are like collaborative, but I, I am the one who brought up the idea of saying, hey, we should take all of our really good food thoughts from Calgary and like compile them together in like a list of really delicious things that you can eat in Calgary. Um, and so I just thought maybe we could just take an opportunity. Maybe we could flesh this out and ask the beleaguered talkies if it's something that they would be interested in if we were to put together like the 21 most delicious things in the city or something like that. Oh, I like that. I mean, it could be it could be like a little bit of, you know, caption on each kind of thing or it could even be, you know, here here's where the uh, you know, the 10 most interesting burgers or the 10 best milkshakes or you know, or or it could be something like, "Here's the best milkshake. Here's the best burger." Right. Or the top three of each. It's so many different possible forms here. Yeah, we're just spitballing it around here. What about this? Here, let me just submit this for approval. What if it was like a Google Map, um, and then every spot, like instead of it being you know twenty one hamburgers or twenty one slices of pizza, right? Like it was a pretty different experience everywhere. Because I'm thinking that my list, my short list, and we have to expand it, but I would have like this, the foe at Bolsa Vietnamese and obviously chicken on the way. 
very obviously chicken on the way. Um, the cheese garlic toast at Caesars. Uh, what do you got? You got anything? Anything coming to mind? Uh, you got the north um, half of the city covered here. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> I got the south end of town. The Tops Pizza might be my pizza place. Yeah, I mean, there's got to be a, like a sushi dish to be had at one of the sushi places. Uh, I like the. Uh, uh, I'm not even sure what we call it. The teppanyaki at uh, Sakana, I think, is pretty good. Nice, yeah. There's good ramen at Shijiki. So, okay, yeah, because we could like we could cobble this together in like a, a brochure, <laughs> a downloadable brochure, uh, <laughs> with uh, an e-brochure, an e-sure with like a Google Map, and we could uh, we could see if people we could make it like an Olympics out of it, like a heptathlon. <laughs> With twenty, I like events. that. Yeah, get some uh, get some opinions, some input from the talkies. Find our faves. Who's out there? That uh, Julie has been uh, w- on Facebook food talking with us because uh, she's one of us with the uh, the sous vide machine. Yeah, I wonder if if Julie's sous vide the hamburgers yet. That dirty <laughs> dirty girl, Julie sous vide <laughs> your burgers like that. Um, that's a that's a pretty good way to go. Anyway, no, I just I bring it up just because there's a lot of people that are into the food in our town, foodies, foodie talkies. So yeah, we'll take your suggestions and we'll compile like uh, the the NTL twenty one eats in Cal eat Calgary or something. I don't know what we'll call it. We'll have to also farm out the name. <laughs> no, I love that. I think that's a great idea. All right, cool. I just wrote it down on a list on a to do list. So we'll have to. <laughs> Collaborate and get that thing together here. Let's hear from our our German friend. National Talkie League, podcasting into the future. Awesome. Um, Always good to hear Johannes. Mm -hmm. Oh, we've got uh, some brand new Johannes, by the way, that you'll hear in this uh, this edition of the National Talkie League. Um, we should do, we should do this before we get to my, you know, self-aggrandizing why I hate the liberal government this week. Um, <laughs> um, did you see the video that, that I put up on, on the Facebook page of the four way stop idiot? I sure did. So, uh, this is where I'm coming to you for, um, you know, confirmation that I definitely, what I believe happened, happened, right? I stopped and then a guy went when it wasn't his turn to go at the four way stop. So what I saw from the video was you turned away from the garden center or the whatever it was. Was that a Rona? That was the Home Depot. I do not go to Rona. (laughs) I do not go to Rona. Just triggering you there. So yes, you came to a stop at the four-way stop and uh, the car on your right went. And then I think – I'm trying to remember it. I think the car on your left went. Then the car on your right went and then you started going and then the car on your right tried to go and actually did go. When yeah. it was clearly not his turn. Yeah. So my whole knock about it is like the four-way stop is really an easy one. Like how old were you when you figured out the four-way stop? Oh, it was like the first thing you figure out, I think. Right. And we all make mistakes and that's fine. I've probably done that before too. We, like, you know, we all make mistakes. Okay. Sometimes it, there's the like, I think it's my turn and the other guy thinks it's his turn and we both try to go at the same time. That happens. But this is not that situation. No, this is just – a flagrant disregard for the the law and order of that particular brand of intersection. But this guy, like the thing is, is, is there's like, just watch the video on the, on the Facebook page or at nationaltalkyleague.com. This guy just, it wasn't his right of way and he nearly caused an accident um, with my car. But the, that's not the problem. The problem is that when he drove off and the dash cam that I have doesn't, didn't catch this part, he like flipped the bird to me. 
because I, I laid on the horn like, dude, you know. And so this is the issue that I have is like if you are so obviously incorrect, just cop to it and get the hell out of there. It's like if you do something wrong, just try to don't in, don't try to throw gasoline on the fire or anything like that. It's like if you fart in a taxi, get out as quick as you can. You just tell the guy like right here, here's my stop. I'll just get out here. This is fine. You just all you have to do is stick your hand out the window and give a little wave, right? That wave could be, yeah, 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 keep talking, or that wave could mean, yeah, I'm sorry, it's my fault. You're never gonna know, right? That's all <laughs> it takes, just a little wave, and then you're good. But yeah, man, that I hate that when someone won't own up to their mistake, right? You were clearly in the wrong, and so you what, you know, flip the bird to say that uh, I'm embarrassed about being wrong and I can't possibly own up to it. I think in today's society with the, the internet and being online, no one likes to admit when they make a mistake anymore. And it's right. infuriating. No one can say, oh, you're right. Sorry, I was out of line. Or, oh, yeah, no, I probably uh, overspoke. Nobody can do that anymore. Yeah. You know, there's another side. There's another end of that equation too, which is I don't think you need to like apologize and put yourself beneath someone else and like beg their forgiveness. Oh, I'm sorry. You were right. Totally my mistake. Please, I'm so sorry. I don't think that's entirely necessary. But just the acknowledgement of like, oh my gosh, actually, that's a better way to do that. I won't do that again. Yeah. Oh, sorry. I was in my head for a minute. My yeah. bad. Yeah. That's uh, all it is. It's a my bad. Yeah. You got me. My bad. Which is just fine. Um. But yeah, I mean the the. I wish that I mean I used to be like that too. Could absolutely never in a million years tell you when I'd made a mistake or like, and I would even like try to convince myself, Oh no, I was uh, the whole world's wrong. It's me. I got this one figured out. But, um, I was trying to, I was explaining to my nephew a little while ago that it's like, Hey man, when you get something wrong, that's awesome. You just, now you get to figure out the right way to do something. I just, you know, and that sounded remarkably sage coming from 39 year old me. <laughs> I wish I'd had that attitude sooner, but I, I, I legitimately though, Dave come away from that situation today concerned because that guy's still driving and it's like, what else is he doing? Well, yeah, exactly. I'm just trying to think and it is not entirely uh, 100% on topic but uh, there's a great uh, comment from I think I want to say it was maybe Roosevelt or maybe Truman and the quote was like, uh, the best thing to do in any situation is the right thing. The next best thing to do is the wrong thing. <laughs> the worst thing to do is nothing. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> Although had the guy done nothing today, that would have uh, that would if he, if he was still at that stop sign, I'd be okay with that. I wouldn't care. Um, but- I had one of those driving days. Uh, so, and this might be a fun story, and this might lead into one of our other topics. But so, uh, both of my kids were in a day camp this week. So what happens is, of course, the kids are off for the summer, and if you leave the kids at home too long, uh, mom starts to go a little crazy because she's got to be with them all day every day. So you put them in day camps and we put them in both at different day camps because they don't want to go to the same place sometimes. Fair enough. So uh, so my younger guy, Max, he's at a, a day camp up near the airport, kind of, you know, where like the Purolator and FedEx yeah, yeah, where all yeah. the pickups are there, right? It's called Ingenation and it's like uh, free running and trampolines and all kinds of climbing stuff, okay? Okay. I just thought that was like, kind of like, like a sketchy part of town to be having like the kids corralled, but okay, <laughs> on, you sold me. Okay. Okay. Uh, Finn, my older boy, is at a uh, wind sport day camp over at Canalypic Park. Cool. Okay? Yeah. Doing all kinds of, you know, climbing and running and all sorts of different stuff. So 
this particular day, uh, I happened to be working from home that day. And so uh, my wife says to me, okay, we got to go pick up the boys. Can't pick them both up at the same time because they're at different ends of the city. Same time pickup. So she says to me, okay, I'm going to go get Finn. And then she heads out the door. I have to go back and grab something, lock up the house. I lock up the house and I get in my car and I say to myself in my head, got to pick up Finn because that's the last (laughs) thing I heard. So I'm driving away. I'm driving away. I get to the ramp at, uh, I get to the ramp at, uh, Stony trail where you turn on to Memorial. I don't know if it's called Memorial at that point or 16th Ave, whatever it is. Right. And, uh, I look two cars in front of me and I see my wife's car and I'm just like, Oh, (laughs) there's been a mistake made. Clearly it was my mistake. (laughs) So now I got to get from COP to the airport basically at four o'clock on a Thursday. And I got to do it in like 10 minutes or 15 minutes tops. Right. Right. So now I'm like, Oh, okay. So I, I come up with a route in my head. Sorry. This is becoming an insane long story. Bring it on. There's people that are trying to fight through this with you right now. They're trying to figure out what you did. And there's also people that are going, you know what? It's because it's the younger one that makes this a catastrophe. If you, if you'd screwed up and you'd both gone after the little one and left the older boy, this wouldn't be (laughs) nearly as catastrophic. Absolutely. So in my head, I'm going, okay, what's my route here? I don't want to go too close to downtown because traffic's going to be bad coming out of downtown. So in my head, uh, I say, okay, I'm going to go up Memorial a little bit here. I'm going to go up to Shaganappy. I'm going to take Shaganappy north, and I'm going to stay on Shaganappy all the way to John Laurie. I'm going to take John Laurie up to 14th Street, 14th Street to 64th. 64th goes across Deerfoot right where I need it to to get up to the airport. That's my route. Got it. And as I'm driving, I run into easily nine of the worst drivers in the city. <laughs> Absolutely worst. <laughs> and yeah, it's just one of those things where it's like, but he won't merge. I'm giving him lots of space to merge, but he won't Ugh. merge. And now he's making me crazy. So now I got to jam in ahead of him. And, and now I feel dumb for doing that, for leaving him the space. And it's all th- that kind of thing, right? Or this guy doesn't know when to merge or this guy's not moving out of the way. And, you know, you're in a hurry. Everyone always drives much worse around you, of course, right? Yeah. Anyways, uh, good. The end of the story is I think I got there at like 17 minutes after four. Nobody even noticed that I was running late. Uh, and it was all good. Yeah. Well, I knew it ended well. <laughs> and then I found 20 bucks. <laughs> Perfect. The, um, yeah. I, you know, you, you, you made me think about two things with that. One is, uh, we got to talk about traffic calming measures because I've got one that I'm, I want to float. I have no idea how it would, uh, could possibly be pulled off, but I think technology is coming around to the point where we could do something like this. Um, but first of all, I think that, you know, when you were talking about planning your route there, that to me is like the biggest boys are different than girls scenario that I could think of. Cause there's a lot of times when like, you know, my wife and I are going out somewhere and, you know, I've got the, the route planned and I used to have this rule like we have to agree to all the stops we're making before we leave the house. <laughs> and I, I admit that's on me. That's shitty. <laughs> but you see, I'm planning a route, right? And I don't want to turn left if I don't have to. I don't want to drive. I'm not going to drive by something and then come back to it. So it's... <laughs> Like, I don't think, I think that there's a lot of guys that are like that and women don't quite understand that. Is that fair to say? 
I, I, I guess so. I don't know. I don't want to get into this sexist territory with me. (laughs) Are you a, uh, are you a, I need to make a left turn about six kilometers from here. So unless it's actually the fast lane, I'm going to go in that left lane. So I don't have to worry about it. No, no, no. Are you? I, I can be. I can be. Sometimes. I was I was driving with a guy and I won't say who it was, but we interviewed him on the podcast last week. <laughs> and we were on a highway and he did that. He was like, oh, no. yeah, he was like sizing up his uh, his left turn. Like and uh, so the no no word of a lie. The left turn was Portage and Maine in, in Winnipeg. <laughs> OK, it's like we're going to turn left at Portage and Maine and we've yet to enter the city. He's <laughs> like, what lane do I need to be? In? And he might not remember. He might remember. I don't know. I hope he finds it funny if he listens to this because you know it's it stayed with me all this time. I thought it was humorous, but uh, no. I to me it's sort of like you got you got a million hashed white lines before you got to get into that lane, pal. You know the the last second's just as good as the first second. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I certainly don't do it on highways, but like if I'm you know going up 14th Street or something, it's like well, eventually I'm going to have to turn left, and there's no fast lane here technically, so. I'm just as happy to be in that lane and not have to worry about it now. Yeah, I'm one of these people who feels that the left lane is always for passing, regard like even on a one lane road. <laughs> like, like get out of the way. Um, so that's yeah. I don't know. I'd, I'd be curious to. I would like actually some women to give me hell for that <laughs> because I, I think there's a lot of women out there who are like, yeah, actually, based on the fact that I have no idea what the fuck Roger's talking about, he might be correct. <laughs> Now, and this might be dicey territory, but do you ever play the, that person is the worst driver I've ever seen. Let me see if I can profile them before oh, I can actually see the driver. Everybody does that. <laughs> every, every, you you asking that question confirms for me that everybody does that. <laughs> right? And are you often right? Uh, with whatever that, that, that assumption is? I don't know, man. Like, I think that. It, that's a, that's an interesting question. I think that if you took your stats year over year, you'd find that you're less and less correct today than you were a while ago. Because there's a lot. I don't know. I mean, first of all, I'll say this: Have you ever been to? Let's just pick on Asians for a second. Have you ever been to Asia? Why would you possibly do that? Hey, man, no listen. I just I have a seven sided die. I, they each correspond to a different uh, continent, and that's how I figured this out. But have you ever been to Asia? I have not. Like there's a billion people moving around the roads in China, right? Like I was in Saigon watching how they drive in Saigon and going, oh, it make like this is this is crazy what's going on over here and this is normal. So if if you took somebody from Vietnam and you put them in the road in Calgary, they would look at the road and go, what? Why? Why is everyone going so slowly and why doesn't anybody – why isn't anyone trying to get where they're going and what's with all these cars? So is it just that sort of thing that people are driving the way that they're used to driving when they are where they are and it's just throwing people off? You know what? I don't even bring it up to, to say that. All I'm saying is that it's an entirely different sport over there, right? And it's like – it's the same – I bet it's the same with soccer, right? Or, or you know, or hockey. Like you play Canadian hockey and then you go and you play up against a Finnish team and they got a whole different game they're playing, <laughs> right? Like we're beating each other up in the corners. They're just trying to fly up the wing as quickly as possible. And it's like, all right, well, they do things a little bit differently. Sometimes we like to play old driver or new driver. <laughs> <laughs> I think, by the way, the the uh, the decal or the sign in the back window that says new driver should be illegal. <laughs> 
right? Like you should never go into a situation where lives are at stake and indicate that you need people to go easy on you because you're kind of new at this. Like, can you imagine if your surgeon, if you, if you were like just about to go under and he had a little name badge on, like at McDonald's, that said like in training, like bear with me, I'm training. And be like, no, hell no, get that guy out of this room. I want pros. I only want the best around me. So you don't see it as as giving you a bit of extra information whether you should decide to make that sudden lane change or not, or <laughs> that that this person might not be experienced enough to deal with what you're about to throw out. Or well, I just want the driver's license to mean something. Like on one hand, I'm totally opposed to the notion of a driver's license in the first place. But but then again, it's like if you're going to make people go through a road exam, they either pass it or they do not pass it. There's no like, well, this guy, he's kind of, you know, he's about an 85% good driver. So, you know, we're going to give him a yellow license plate. And this guy really flying colors, he gets a green license plate. Like it's, 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 it's binary, right? You either get your driver's license or you didn't. And if you got it, get in the river and swim. So, okay. So for the Calgary driver's license, and it should, maybe it's different city to city, but to get your Calgary driver's license in the city of Calgary to be certified as a driver, what are the three situations that you should be put through in your driving test? Okay. Oh, wow. So glad you asked. Do you get, do you get where I'm going with yeah, this? Yeah, I absolutely do. I absolutely do. Okay. <clears throat> so one of them should probably be uh, merging onto Deerfoot at 430. Not bad. Not bad. Hang on a second here. Just hang on a second. This is weird for me, right? You're, you're, I feel like you've, uh, oh, this is good. Okay. (laughs) Have I, have I restarted your brain or something, man? Here, what's going on? Yeah, no, here's, this is what you have to do. Okay. Okay. You you start at Chinook Center. Okay. All right. And you exit the Chinook Center parking lot, uh, on that, what is that, like 60th Avenue? That stupid little, and then you go like the, to, the back side of the mall. No, 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 the, the McLeod Trail side of the mall. Okay, you're going to turn southbound on McLeod, and then you're going to take Glenmore Trail from there, exit down onto Glenmore. You're going to drive eastbound on Glenmore to Crowchild, and you are going to. Uh, oh, so you have to do that, like 14th Street, Elbow Drive, merge all of that noise. Oh yeah, buddy. Yeah. Oh, perfect. Yeah. Perfect. So, so yeah. you're on Glenmore, and then you're going to have to get onto Crowchild northbound which is tricky from there and you can't screw up and endanger the lives of anybody who's trying to merge from 14th street onto, onto Glenmore uh, westbound. Um, and then you got to go northbound Crowchild and you've got to do the whole thing and you've got to get onto, Oh, uh, let me think here. You've got you to go across a- the river. You got to take care of that weird merge yeah. of, uh, from, from bow from and, ninth. Right. Yeah. You've got to turn, Right on Kensington, and you got to park it at Chicken on the Way in Kensington. <laughs> and now here's the thing: this is the thing about it. Okay. Oh no, wait a second. Actually, no, you got to go. Yeah, actually, that's a good enough driver's test. I was, th- I was thinking, you know, for for extra credit, you could go on to 10th Street into downtown and uh, park it in front of City Hall. But I'll tell you what: if you park it at Chicken on the Way, here's the here's the thing: you that's where you find out if you get your license or if you didn't get your license. And there's no like, here's what you did wrong. It's just like you, you, if you don't get your license, you have to figure out why. It's like a video game, right? <laughs> like when you die, it doesn't give you tips. <laughs> but when the driving instructor gets out of the car, finishes his assessment, returns to the car with a chicken on the way box. Yes. And inside is either a certificate that says you got your license and three fritters <laughs> or nothing. <laughs> yeah. 
You can even you can even have like uh, you either have a license and three fritters or just three fritters. Hey, at least you get three fritters. That's, you know that's a good point. Yeah. Everybody should get fritters. Yeah, <laughs> yeah oh, this that's is perfect. I love that question. I love that question. You can tell where I grew up, by the way. Now, <laughs> no, you're absolutely right, though. I mean, I'm not I'm not from that part of town, but uh, I uh, and this may come as a shock to you, Roger, but I go to the Lego store on occasion. And so, and often it's right after work. Hang on a second, Dave. (laughs) You cut out on me there. It sounded like you say you buy some Lego at the Lego store time to time. (laughs) Yeah, not as much as you think, but yeah, I do. Uh, (laughs) So, and I always think I should call Roger. He doesn't live too far away from here. (laughs) That's the kind of guy I am. And then you're like, no, I'd rather spend my time in the Lego store than with that asshole. Yeah. Yeah. uh, but then, yeah, then I do have to. And so my problem is where I live up in the Northwest, I'm like uh, equidistant from Deerfoot or Crowchild. So I, I have to make that choice. Do I want to go up Crowchild? Do I want to go up Deerfoot? Which which way am I getting home, right? Yeah. There's no good answer to that question at that time of day. But Deerfoot is always worse. So I guess maybe I, I generally choose Crowfoot. So maybe Deerfoot is a little bit worse because you know you're just going to be sitting there. Crowchild's going to suck, but at least you'll be moving for most of the time. Uh, yeah. 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 I, I was, I, I generally exit, uh, Deerfoot at Glenmore. So I don't know. Uh, if you were driving to my house, yeah, which you've done, I think maybe a couple times, not often. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. I said, not like you're expected to, uh, which, how would you get, how would you come to me? Would well, you take I've Deerfoot you, or Crowchild? You live in a neighborhood that's hidden, first of all. <laughs> it is. That's true. Uh, don't I go up, uh, Jeez. Well, because I would go around the what, the east side of Nose Hill. So I would take, I guess, what would that be? 14th Street and Crowchild and all that business? Uh, yeah, you could take Crowchild would probably shag and happy, I would yeah, think, would be the thinking. easiest from there. Yeah. Um, yeah. I wanted to bring this up, though. I mean, <clears throat> we talked about traffic uh, calming measures or thinning measures. Okay, yeah. So here's what I was thinking about. And this is kind of like my if I were premier sort of thing. Oh, um, is this – no, I'll finish this thought. Then I'll rag on Brian Jean for a second. But um, if I were premier, I would reorient uh, policing to be taking care of like the nuisance issues that slow everybody down. Because I'm a firm believer that like the city loses productivity to traffic, right? Sure. Okay. So like we got people in cars. They're not at work. Where we where they want to be, where we want them to be, where the economy wants them to be. So it's sort of like what you know. Whenever we have that big, um, like a massive snowfall that that grinds the city to a halt for three days, somebody will come out and say, "Oh, the economic impact of that was you know, hundred and twenty million dollars or something like that." So sure. I, I basically have the mind that like, look, the less time people spend in traffic, better it is for the economy, better it is for the environment. We got to get people off the road, but. So I would do this with the cops. I'd say, look, start policing the stuff like the crappy mergers, the people who are driving over the solid white lines, uh, guys like in the Home Depot parking lot who are running the four-way stop, right? And now here's the thing. You don't get a ticket. You don't get like a, you know, a ticket, go to court or pay $78. You don't get one of those. But you do get taken off the road during rush hour. 
So it's basically you can't drive between seven and nine, and you can't drive between four and six anymore. Any other time you can drive, but you just can't drive during rush hour. So take the bus, take an Uber, figure it out. You're just barred from driving during these times. And if we catch you on the road during those times, then it's a $500 fine. So, Interesting. Yeah. So they still make the money, right? Because now it's sort of like we just need one in five people or one in six to be a repeat offender. Uh, but what we're effectively doing is saying to people, look, driving's tough and it's only made tougher by people with lacking skills like yourself. So <laughs> you're going to have to hang up your skates during the busy portions of the commute. You can come out and play when it's safe. I like that. It's like the graduated driver's license where you can't uh, you know, drive at night for the first couple of years or you have to have an adult in the car, that kind of thing. It's interesting. What if there was some kind of system where you had some sort of like laser-directed uh, beam on the front of your car and you were able to use that and point it at other drivers and either give them a, like a thumbs up or a thumbs down? Right? So if they cut you off, they do something dumb, you give them a big old thumbs down and then – those thumbs ups and downs are used to calculate a fine or a credit to your account. So if you're an awesome driver and everyone loves how you drive enough to give you a thumbs up, like you're letting people in, you're doing good things, you get some thumbs up, you get a couple bucks in your in your wallet at the end of the month. But if you're driving <laughs> like a real jerk face, uh, then everybody's giving you the thumbs down and you get the message that you're a terrible driver and it starts to cost you money. The only the only hole I think I could put in that is uh, that that your wife who drives a Volkswagen bus, no one would ever thumb that down. They would just thumb it up because they like that car, right? So like, and that that poor guy driving the Audi. Yeah, the BMW <laughs> driver is going to get screwed. He can't win in that equation. So that's the problem for me. The guy in the Lambo probably doesn't care, but he's getting thumbs down constantly. <laughs> the the uh, the thing I wanted to rag on Brian Jean about is that he came out with his like you know lead the UCP, um, and one of the things was a referendum on photo radar. And <laughs> it's to me, I'm like, oh man, that come on, that that's so cheap. That's just no, one of those vote getters. No one's in favor of photo radar except the people who make the budgets, right? Exactly. The cops like photo radar. And, you know, yeah. the people who manufacture photo radar like photo radar. Gordon Campbell did this in uh, in BC when he was trying to get elected. He's like, man, I'm going to get rid of photo radar. And people and loved did, it. Did he? You did, yeah. Did. Oh, that's good. Um, the question so is, yeah. though, Dave, sorry not to cut you off, but the question for Brian Jean, though, is like, what are you going to, where are you going to get the money from? Because photo radar has an impact on the province's bottom line and on, on municipalities' bottom line. So if you're going to get rid of it, because no one's going to say, yeah, wait, actually, Brian, double down on photo radar. The, I've been uh, out for breakfast with the guys lately, and the one problem we have with this province is not enough cameras on the side of the road catching speeders. <laughs> we could triplicate them. No. So anyway, what what will you do to make up for the the financial um, – loss basically right the fact that that money's not there anymore because that's the only question that i think needs to be answered about the whole thing we, we take a we take the rate the, the cameras out then we take a slight increase in taxes but only on the uh only on the condition that we get to like publicly voice our opinion about certain parts of the road like okay where it drops down to 50 and then goes back up to 70 here that's bullshit get rid of that <laughs> Right. We'll pay the higher taxes, but it's 70 all the way across now because this is dumb. <laughs> That's what they should be using photo radar for, right? Like that to me should be a movie camera and they're just registering every single speed that goes through it. And 
um, then they can look at it after like a couple of months and say, Hey, um, you know what? We've got like 18 consecutive weeks without an accident on this road. And people are typically driving 10 kilometers over the speed limit. Why don't we raise the level, raise the speed to 90 instead of 80. I can't remember who it was, but some comedian had a great, you know, take on the photo radar, which was, you know, if you're a lion in Africa and the herd of zebra goes by, you get one. <laughs> you don't you don't get all the zebras. You get one. That's fantastic. <laughs> Should only be allowed to hand out as many photo radar tickets as cars you could have stopped and ticketed during that period of time. Precisely. Um so the, the the traffic calming thing that whenever I hear that phrase, my immediate reaction, my knee jerk reaction is is this: is that there's two ways that you can handle traffic calming. There's the the positive way, and there's the negative way, right? I mean, I guess that's true of, of many things. But there's there's two ways that you can convince someone not to drive through. Bridgeland or, or wherever it is we're trying to calm traffic, Sunnyside or whatever it is. It's always Beltline communities, by the way. Don't <laughs> fool yourself. Um, so there's two ways you can do it. One is by making it hard for people to drive through that neighborhood. You start putting in some dead ends. You part, start putting in some speed bumps to stop people from driving quickly or from even trying to drive through those neighborhoods. And the other way, which is the positive way, is that you make it easier for them to not do that, make it easier to drive on another road that moves more quickly so that they don't even think about doing that. And the thing that drives me crazy is that, and maybe there's more to this than I'm thinking, but the city is so big on these negative measures, right? Here's how we're going to make it harder for you to do something. Oh, we don't want you driving downtown. So instead of making it easier for you to not drive downtown, we're going to charge you more for parking. We're going to make it harder for you. We're going to, you know, we're going to bottleneck traffic on this road. We're going to turn this into a bike lane. So it's harder for drivers to move. Around. Of course, that's not why they're making the bike lanes, but, but you see what I'm saying? Yes, like if yeah. you made it easier, this is the same. We had this argument about uh, the LRT, how they were saying, oh, we want to make the LRT cheaper for people who live in Sunnyside. So they'll use it more. And my thought was, no, you want to make the LRT cheaper for people who live in Crowfoot and, whatever it is on the South end. Now, whatever that last stop is, you want those guys on the train because they drive the furthest. They're using the roads way more, make it cheaper for those guys, make it more efficient for them to take the train to get downtown. And they will want to do that. Right. Yeah. Don't punish them for living further out. Right. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I think that, yeah, I don't want to get off too much on this, but no, I think, I think you nailed it. It's like, give me an incentive to do the behavior that you'd rather I do as opposed to punishing me for the, for this particular behavior. Like um, we see that with, with syntaxes, right? And it's like, Hey, um, we're, we're putting, we're raising the, the tax on cigarettes and alcohol. And it's like, well, I'm still going to buy those products. You know, like you're not dissuading me from using these. And I guess, you know, hang on, I should probably check this because that's not the point. The point of those taxes and in cigarettes, I guess you could argue, but in booze, they're not raising taxes on booze to make people stop drinking. Right. But it's like, Let's just stick to cigarettes then, as Roger thinks aloud here on a recorded podcast. Um, you know, so ra instead of raising the taxes on cigarettes, have free e-cigarettes, <laughs> right? That you that you you pay for with all these inflated taxes. Yeah, and give you subsidize some, the e-cigarettes. Yeah, yeah, and give that guy the option when he goes in there for a pack of you know export a mediums or whatever you have to call them now, and instead say, yeah, okay, sir, would you like a free e-cigarette instead? It's like one or the other. I don't know. 
No, I think you're, I mean, of course it'd be a lawsuit from the, uh, from big tobacco almost right away, <laughs> but you know, I, I think, I mean, that's the, that's the positive thing, right? And it works so many times. There's so many changes that the city has made that become good changes because people are like, oh yeah, that's beneficial to me. It's better. It's easier for me to do that right? Uh, rather than fight my way around it or across it. It's, it's the, it's the negative stuff that drives me crazy. Because it's like they're saying, oh, oh, is it hard to drive down uh, uh, 14th Street going northbound? Oh, let us put a bike lane in. That'll make it even harder for you to get through there. Oh, no, no, you're still going to drive through there, but it's just going to be harder for you. You know, don't don't give me an easier route. Don't take a couple of the lights out on 14th Street and make that a much more, you know, raise the speed limit slightly. Take some of those lights out and make it easier for people to use that as a corridor. Don't do that. No, no. Just make it harder for everyone all yeah. the time. You know, that's that's another thing too. I remember when they put all these – remember, the, you know those bump outs that you get on corners so that like – it's like a pedestrian island? Like the whole point of it is so that like pedestrians can stand and stage somewhere and there's yeah. not like two – yeah. Uh, why not just say to pedestrians, you can't just cross the road anywhere? Like you can only cross at the traffic light where there's you know a green light and a red light and a walk signal. Yeah, because they don't. That's the problem. Yeah, I'm just saying, like, hey, if, if what are we trying to do? Maybe we'll just get some traffic flowing a little bit better and we'll let these wandering bags of meat get the indication that a big box of steel is going to win every time. I don't know who the idiot is who said pedestrians get the right of way, but that guy's responsible for more deaths than I think a lot of the, the world's worst people are. Well, they put a bridge in up near my place, uh, kind of halfway home, on uh, just near Northland Mall. They put in a big pedestrian bridge going from the mall over to the Canadian Tire because people had worn a path jaywalking across Shaganapi. <laughs> I don't know who these people are, but they're crazy. I'll tell you that. That is not a good place to be a pedestrian. But the response from the city, of course, was, oh, well, we'll just build a bridge. And then they built a bridge and then the bridge was the wrong size. So then they had to redo it and then they had to put it in. And wow. it, I don't know. Is there really that much traffic there? And why don't those people just go to the lights? Because it's not that hard. You know, you've got me really primed up for this, Dave. <clears throat> Let me clear my throat. Yeah. All right. Um, the, the, the one thing that's infuriating me right now, and it kind of relates to what you just said about uh, the incentive to do the behavior that they want you to do instead of penalizing the behavior that they don't want you to do, is what's happening with the, the federal liberals and this new tax policy that Bill Morneau announced that's going to really crush uh, the middle class, I believe. Um, and by the way, people are waiting for us to talk about the public art because that's what flamed up on the Facebook page this week. We're going to get to that in a second. But I said earlier in the podcast, Dave, that I think you know this is the first time in my life when I'm actually contemplating maybe living uh, stateside. And it's because of this stupid thing that is a follow-up on something Trudeau did during the election, which is basically to go after people like you, Dave, who incorporated your own personal business Maybe for the purposes of, of income splitting, but most certainly for the purposes that there's some tax advantage to be had in doing that. Doctors do this. Dentists do this. A lot of individuals do this. Uh, you know, Consultants do this. Now, here, here's, here's the problem with this sort of mentality. And it's, it's, it's not just twofold, but I'm going to just raise two issues. 
First of all, this is something that most people don't really know about. It's not that they don't have a clue or that they're ignorant. It's just that you really have to go out of your way to learn about this. And by go out of your way to learn about this, I mean you really have to talk to a tax accountant or a tax lawyer. And you have to get all the information and, and see that this is an option for you. Okay, It's kind of like when you have an ailment that has two surgical options. Well, we can amputate the leg or you can go to the Philippines for psychic surgery. All right. You might not have known about the psychic surgery, that that was even an option until Andy Kaufman told you about it. <clears throat> Let me get back on point here. It's basically that most people, this is what your work career looks like. Okay? You turn 16, you want to get some money for smokes. So you go, you get a job at the 7-Eleven where they also sell smokes, right? You get a job bussing tables at the Joey Tomatoes kitchen, or you get a job stocking toys in the, uh, in the Bay toy department or whatever it's going to be. But you go work for somebody else and then you get a paycheck and all of your deductions are on that paycheck. No one ever comes up to you along the way and says, hey, are you uh, incorporated so that we can just pay you and then you'll take care of all your taxes at the end of your own, at the end of your own tax year? So, okay. <clears throat> Is that clear? Have I made that point? I believe so. Okay. I, I'm, I'm struggling this, with this one because it's kind of personal to me right now. When Trudeau announced that he's going to go after these people, when they said that during the election, this to me was, was one of the dirtiest things because he knows that he's taking advantage of something most people don't know about. And in so doing, he puts himself in the role of professor. I get to profess to you what this issue is. For a lot of you, this is the first time you're going to be hearing about it. I've spent a lot of money branding myself. This is Trudeau here. I spent a lot of money branding myself. I've got an entire party behind me. You can trust me. And here's what you need to know. The people that incorporate, that make these businesses, they are the 1%. They are the richest of the rich, and they're not paying their fair share. We're going to make sure that those people pay their fair share. Now, that couldn't be further from the truth. Okay, that is a bald-faced lie. And this is basically what they said to you during the election. And goes on to even let this, this new tax policy that was just recently announced talk about leveling the playing field, closing loopholes, and making the rich pay their fair share. It's all complete bullshit to the point where it's a fraud. It's an absolute fraud because it's going to hurt the people that voted for this champion of the middle class, who, by the way, has never been in the middle class. So it's just it's, – it's, it's so sad to me because ultimately what this does is it pokes, the, it pokes at the class warfare, the exact thing that we're observing stateside right now, that we're all lamenting, oh, how could this be happening? America's devolving into this class warfare. The prime minister of Canada is doing the same thing up here. He's not doing it with, with – stupid tweets necessarily, although some could argue, um, you know, he, he, he's doing it with policies that just sail over the heads of most of the millennials and most of the, 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 the people, uh, uh, the so-called middle class that elected this guy. And it's really sad to me because what it, what it's going to do, the effect is it's going to stifle growth in the economy. This Canada is a great place to start a business. It's a shitty place to grow one. If you want to just invest a little bit of money in yourself, you've got an idea and you're going to start to produce a couple widgets, sell them at a maker's fair or something like that, and things are really good, you're taking good care of yourself, Canada is an awesome place to do that and make $50,000 a year. But if you have a dream of like, you know, a, a summer house in the Okanagan, vacations three times a year, or how about this dream, employing people in your community, taking care of your parents and your family, uh, um, making the world a better place with the product of your imagination. Canada is a shitty place for you to be. 
It sucks because the second you get to $200,000, they want to stuff their hands into your pockets and make sure that hiring people is much harder to do and expanding your company is much harder to do. We, we should be leading the world in this. We've got every opportunity to say, look, if you're a growth engine, then grow here. But instead, we're making it so easy and giving people ripe excuses to just pack your bags and head south of the border and say, hey, are you guys interested in my income tax? Absolutely. Full cheer. Standing applauding over on this side. I mean, I, I certainly in that situation that you talked about, and I'm certainly not one of the 1%. My <laughs> bank account will attest to that. And I find that uh, I'm often overwhelmed by the amount uh, and the quantity of taxes that I end up paying because of the way that my business works. I'm paying tax installments and corporate installments constantly, GST installments constantly, personal taxes constantly. It never ends. Right. And and, and, and the bonus that I get for all of this is I get to start paying next year's taxes now because the government figures, well, you're earning a lot of money. So why don't you start giving us some of that money ahead of time in case you make that much money this year? It's, it's actually kind of infuriating. <laughs> um, and you're absolutely right. I mean, if I had more of that money back in my own pocket, the odds of me hiring someone on, even if it's just part-time to start and then eventually full-time, much smaller. Uh, I can't claim EI. I, you know, I, I'm not going to get paid for any of that. CPP is a joke. I'm going to have to come up with my own plan to right. save my money for retirement. And oh, guess what? If I leave a bunch of money in the company, there's a good chance if anyone ever decides to sue me, they can come and take all that money. So my accountant says, get that money out of the account. So guess what? Now it's in my pocket and now I got to pay more taxes on it. I pay it coming in the door. I pay it going out the door. It's a little bit less because it's going out the door, but I'm still paying it. I laugh in the face at people when they tell me, oh, you know, you should write that off. You should buy that through your company and write it off because I look at them and say, I am my company. Yeah. What are you talking about? If I don't need that thing, I'm not going to buy it because I'm the one that's paying for it. It's either coming out of my account or my account. You know, <laughs> that's right. You can write that off. Yeah. You know what that means? <laughs> that's like you're, you're, you're confusing. Write that off with an expense account. Like I have a corporate card that somebody else pays for my company that's pays right. for. No, man, it's it's brutal, and I'm not going to rant on too much more about it because I've, I've definitely said my piece. But it's such a it's such a hoodwink, right? Like the 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 tax cuts that that they promised the middle class, they didn't really you know pan out. Uh, I think that you get like three hundred fifty dollar. Most taxpayers got back like three hundred fifty dollars in one particular tax bracket. It's something paltry, but it, like this is the the problem. <clears throat> Let me just kind of whiteboard it here. Let's say that you are a business person. Okay, and you make some money and you pay your corporate tax. Okay. And then you decide, all right, now I'm going to take some of that pot of money that's left over after I've paid my corporate tax, my income tax. I'm going to take whatever's left and I'm going to um, try to save some money to send my kid to school. Okay. So you take money out of your company. Now you pay income tax to the government because you've been paid. If you're smart, you paid yourself a dividend. So you're going to pay a dividend tax, but you're still going to pay a tax to the government. And now you've got this money left over. So you say, well, I, what I'm going to do with this money, because my child is three and I want my child to go to a good skill school, like um, I don't endorse university, but uh, let's say you want to go to uh, uh, the University of Manitoba, go Bisons. I want to send my kid to the University of Manitoba, go Bisons. I'm going to take this money and I'm going to invest this money in the stock market. Now, I want you to know something. I've been taxed on this money twice. 
I paid corporate income tax on this money, and then I paid tax again when I took it out and, and gave it to myself. I paid corporate income tax and personal income tax. I'm going to put it in the stock market. And my goodness, that money, it grows. And every month, for some reason, they, this company decides they're going to give me money. It's a dividend. So they give to me money, and then I give some of that to the government in taxes. And then that money, that stock continues to grow and grow and grow until the point where it was $1,000 when I invested it. Look, my kid's 18. He's going to go to the University of Manitoba, go Bison's. That money is now worth $10,000. I'm going to sell that and I'm going to give a hefty portion of that money to the government because it's a capital gain. You've been taxed on that money three or four times now by the time the government is done with it. That's a problem. Just let the government come last. Say, keep everything, and when you get to the till, we're going to add 20%. That would be way more equitable. You'd have way more money at the end of the day. (laughs) No, I like that. I like everything you're saying here. Um, And you're right. I mean, the the guys that it's going to hit, or guys, the people that it's going to hit the worst are, like you said, people like doctors who, yeah, yeah, they're incorporated. That's how it works. That's what you do. You, you know, insure yourself. A part of the incorporation process is to avoid any sort of personal litigation, right? Right. Something goes wrong with the work, even, even some of the stuff I do, the computer stuff. I put some bad numbers up. The company I'm working for, you know, puts out a bad report and they lose some money on their stock. They decide to come after me to get it. Well, they can't take my house because it's not yeah. in my company's name. They can go after whatever's in the company, but they can't come after me. Doctors would have to do that. I'm sure they've got malpractice insurance or whatever, but that's not on the personal level. That's at the corporate level, right? You have to do that kind of thing. So to say to these people, oh, we set up the rules. This is how the tax rules work. And then people go, okay, my tax accountant has looked at this, and this is the most equitable situation for me within the rules that you have just told me are the rules. Oh, well, now we think that maybe you're keeping too much of the money that we could get our hands on. So now we're going to come after you. We're going to change the rules. We're going to make sure you pay your fair share. Well, I was paying my fair share. This is what you told me I had to pay. Is is that not right? Is this not what the rules said? Well, well, yeah, that's what the rules said. But But now we want more of your money. So we want to change the rules and we want to make you look like you've been a bad guy for not paying more than we told you you had to pay. Yeah, I, I'm really tired of the pay their fair share thing. That's such a that's such a dirty thing to say, but it sells right. And it's like, you know, I get it. I, I think that that progressives and the left like to think that they that they have the moral high ground a lot of the time, um, but you know, their bullshit detectors suck. Um, pay their fair share. Like, really, if you look at the one percenter, can you imagine if a one percenter? By the way, let's say um, what's his name, Murray Edwards, goes into a car dealership and he buys like a seventeen thousand dollar hatchback. Okay. And then I go into a car dealership and I buy the same hatchback, all the same options, exact same car, same price. Okay, we pay the same amount, right? Would would you, would we agree? We just I agree. Yeah, only on the purchase of that car, though, paying the GST and whatever other taxes and levies and stuff like that. All of his income taxes way way more than my income tax that that I've been paying, uh, particularly in the past year. But look, let's just let, let's uh, be more realistic here. Murray's probably going to go buy uh, more likely to buy a Bentley. Or something in the six-figure territory. He's probably, he could actually buy my dream car, that Aston Martin that I really want. So now he's cruising around in a $100,000 car. I got a $10,000 car. Who paid more tax on that car? It's a rhetorical question. So who's not paying their fair share then? Because his car doesn't get 10 times the road that my car gets. He doesn't get parking spaces that are 10 wide when he parks at like a city lot. 
that he gets exactly the benefit from his taxes that I get out of mine, except he had to pay 10 times more. So who's not paying their fair share? I just don't understand when it's put that simply, why people fall for this fair share bullshit. Stop antagonizing the rich. They employ most of us. Well, and that's a good point, and it gets missed a lot. I mean, the the response from the left would be like, "Oh, well, you know, you, if you give money back to the rich, they don't spend it on anything; they just keep it, they put it in their pockets, because that's how you become rich is by not spending it." Which is not entirely untrue. However, the way most people get rich is by starting a business, by growing that business, just like you said, right? Yeah. I'm at the point now where I've got more than I can handle as far as work to do. But I don't have enough income coming in yet to bring on another person. But if I'm able to do that, if I'm able to bring on somebody, now I'm employing somebody. I'm saving the government from having to give that person unemployment, from having to support that person. I'm doing that with the business. So are you going to reward me for that or are you going to punish me for that? You know? Yeah, it's absurd. Um, by the way, uh, Bill Gates, one percenter? Would you say? I know he's a little bit poorer than Jeff Bezos right now, or whatever. Anyway, he might I, I would, I would guess, yes. Okay, he's pl- he's spending a buttload of his own money trying to cure AIDS. So and malaria yeah, as well. Malaria, he's almost got that one licked too. Yeah, I like by the way how he brought like a business approach to that. He's like, yeah, instead of trying to like attack the disease, why don't we just spend money trying to get people to not get malaria? So he's basically like, you know, these these injection kits cost a lot of money. These mosquito nets cost a dollar. I have billions of those. So why don't we get a mosquito net for every kid in Africa? That was kind of his approach. Um, Richard Branson just won a lawsuit. Virgin won a lawsuit and he, I think it was the airlines division and he distributed the money uh, from the lawsuit amongst his employees. Um, The beastie boys won a lawsuit against that Goldie blocks company who, who ripped off their song girls for this like viral video campaign that went around and sold a, boatload of Goldie blocks uh, and the Beastie Boys correctly sued them for, you know, you can't just steal our intellectual property like that. And they won a million dollar settlement and the settlement stipulated that Goldie blocks had to give up the million dollars to a charity that promotes STEM. um, uh, Was that science, technology, engineering, and maths uh, programs in girls for girls. Um, and that they would agree which charity it was. So that's, that was the penalty that Goldilocks faced. So it's like, you know, I know Kevin O'Leary and, 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 you know, Scrooge McDuck are most people's example of the 1%. Look around. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. I mean, a lot of guys uh, and gals doing a lot of good out there. And a lot of that stuff happens because they have not only the cash, but also the organization to make it happen too, right? It's not all about money. Not everything in the world is about money. And many, most of those people have reached the point where the the dollar count doesn't actually mean anything anymore, right? Who's who's built most of the buildings at the university, Roger? Oh, (laughs) I don't know. But if we were – I couldn't name them now. But if we were standing in front of them, I could name them. (laughs) <laughs> but no, like but my Haskane point is when they a need a new yeah. uh, you know, concert hall at the, the university, exactly. who's coughing up for that? Yeah, it's the wealthiest people in the city, it's right? The it's the wealthiest patrons. people, yeah. right? Like, like they do a lot of good as well. So yeah, you're right. They do get crapped on a lot, but there's a lot of good to be had right. for sure. I might, my, uh, my clip is empty. National right. Talkie League. Yippee-ki-yay, motherfucker. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Johanna's getting angry. I like it.
All right. So um, I think it's time we brought up the uh, elephant in the room uh, or the uh, stack of uh, wood and rocks in the room, as it were. So uh, earlier this week, I guess, they, uh, the city of Calgary announced their newest public art piece uh, over near uh, Beaufort Trail right at COP. You know, the, uh, everybody knows that McDonald's right there at COP. Yeah, you know, right. this is the best part about the city of Calgary right now is whenever you're in like an 18-month-long traffic jam because of construction, you know they're going to put some shitty eyesore right beside it to commemorate the event. <laughs> <laughs> so uh so yeah so of course uh as i understand it the city's policy now for capital projects is if you're doing a large capital project one percent of that budget and then there's limits on that uh are to be spent on creating a piece of public art that has to be situated and located within that public art or within that that capital project mm-hmm. so people who question why is the blue ring where it is because it has to be that's part of the deal right yes um and no that money can't just be dispersed amongst arts groups around the city though oh man if it could that would be such a wonderful thing uh i know a little struggling theater company who's been in uh, business 40 years (laughs) this year who could still use a little handout here and there uh but rarely goes out and asks for one and still struggles on anyways soapbox aside uh so this new piece uh has just come out but now I'm feeling a little guilty because I didn't bother to look up the name of this piece. Uh, you know, it doesn't matter. Okay. That's, so, not, that's not the point of it because it wouldn't make yeah. anybody happier. No one would get the name of it and go, <laughs> oh, now it makes sense. Like the giant blue ring should have been called the giant blue ring because that's what everybody calls it. No one calls it traveling light. And the artist who conceived traveling light, he's just like, no, if you think about it this way, it's like, we're not going to think about it that way. We're going to drive by it and wonder what the hell that is. <laughs> So uh, if you haven't seen it yet, uh, and many of you have because many of you commented on the uh, the Facebook page, arguably the most talked about uh, thing on the talkie page thus far. I also shared it on my own personal Facebook and also, again, <laughs> just throngs of people. People cannot wait to weigh in on this thing. So if you haven't seen it, uh, it's basically you've got a bunch of uh, girders for all intents and purposes that are sticking straight out of the ground. And then there's a couple sort of cross supports between them that are, uh, holding up giant chunks of, I believe it's called rundle rock. Okay. Which is some kind of rock that's found here in this area. It's supposed to be an indigenous rock, I guess. Uh, and it was created. The concept was by, uh, the, the artist I believe is from New York just to throw more fuel on the fire. And so the question we asked was, give us your take on this new piece of public art and the city's approach to public art in general. And man, did people come out of the woodwork to share on this one. Um, So before we get into any of the comments in that, uh, my thought was, I think the problem, one of the problems here is that we've already gone through the, the, uh, the, the giant blue ring, uh, you know, Yes. misfortune already so people are already primed people already have had their say about public art and what seems to be a lot of money spent on something that maybe didn't live up to their expectations now there's a lot of facets to this argument absolutely uh i'm an artist in part of my capacity I consider myself an artist oh, you are one yeah yeah and uh you know on on your your previous show on your radio show uh, we had talked a few times. I had become your public art expert from time to time. <laughs> True. Because I, I was willing to open my mouth. Um, and it's not all cut and dry. There's a lot more going on than most people know or that we talk about. We don't know all the ins and outs of how it works. But in general, um, 
you know, people generally have something to say about it. And it's, it's a topic that brings out every single uh, type of uh, personality and mindset. There's a lot of sort of pat arguments that we get, such as, you know, oh, maybe you just don't understand the art piece. Okay, well, fair enough. Maybe I don't, but most of us clearly don't if, so if, if our comments have anything to say about it. And it, yeah, it's, it's such an elitist bullshit yeah. argument too, right? Oh, you just don't get it. You don't <laughs> understand what's trying to be said here. Oh, well, maybe you could say it better. I don't know. Can you replace it with something that I will yeah. get then? Because yeah, I paid yeah. just as much money as you did to get in its museum. Shakespeare lived a hundreds of years ago and we kind of get what he was trying to say. We may not understand every aspect of it, but we got the gist of it. You know, we didn't, we didn't need any explanation for that. Um, so yeah, uh, the general consensus, uh, in general is that people don't like this thing. <laughs> they are not fans. Uh, a lot of people, the joke is like, Oh, are they finished yet? Oh no, that's not finished. Oh, I drove by it. I thought it was a construction site. Literally I did this cause I was dropping my son off at COP. And the first time I drove by, I was like, Oh, what's this? Some sort of traffic thing going on here. Some sort of, <laughs> oh. and then later I was like, Oh, that's the public art. Oh, okay. Now to be fair, apparently there's supposed to be some more of this going on on the other side of the road when they're finished construction, something called a drumlin. I don't know if it's like a gremlin, but I'll tell you this. A giant gremlin on the side of the road would kick ass. <laughs> <laughs> a drumlin is a mound of dirt. Oh, oh, well, that's, that'll reformed. make it perfect. Yeah. That's what it needs is some mounds of dirt. Now, I don't know if you can make a drumlin. I believe that a drumlin is like what's left over. Um, I believe that the drumlin is like the, the remnant, uh, a landscape that is like the remnant uh, of the bottom of a sea, an ancient sea. And we have uh, that in the foothills, right? So we have to do that apparently because that's what's going to be the other half of the art. <laughs> We're making a drumlin. Interesting. <laughs> um, so let's. I'll just rattle off a couple of the comments here. Yeah. yeah. Um, so Julie, the aforementioned Julie with the sous vide hamburgers, you dirty, dirty girl, um, <laughs> says she likes public art. Uh, she thinks beautification of public spaces has a lot of value. Um, but what the hell is that? So – I think that she, 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 you know, echoes what a lot of people are saying, which is, look, let's, we can all get behind public art, provided it's not a hideous eyesore. And we've got a lot of examples of public artworks in the city. I think that the city's favorite piece of art is probably the giant head called Wanderlust. Yeah. Outside of uh, the bow tower. Wonderland, isn't it? Wonderland. Yeah. Thank you. And it's not um, public art. It's, you know, it's to beautify that plaza. It was paid for by the company that erected the building. Uh, but it's still public and that the public gets to interact with it and, and it's quite beloved. So I think that if art wasn't so abstract, then I think that a lot more people would be quite receptive to it. Now, does that make sense? Do you think, do you, it, think you agree it, with that? It does. Uh, interesting side note. Uh, I talked to the people that run the bow. And uh, they have a 24-hour security guard whose job it is just to watch that thing. And they will for as long as it is there. Yeah. They have to put that in like a fountain with alligators. <laughs> uh, you know, that'll, that'll, that'll be cheaper. I think that's hilarious. Like, uh, you know, it's one thing to have the 24-hour security guard around the Mona Lisa. But like around that thing, it just <laughs> seems to be a bit much. You know what? It occurs to me that Julie's constantly saying what we're thinking. It's a little spooky sometimes. All right, like she's bang I'm, on the money on this, you know. I'm Julie. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
<laughs> so you keep you keep referring to yourself as a dirty girl. I get it now. I get it. That makes sense. I'm transitioning. So Aaron, Aaron was the next one to come in, yeah. interestingly. So Aaron asked, is it finished? And my thought was, my first thought was, oh, she's literally asking the question, is it finished? Into which we should reply, oh, no, it's not actually technically there's another piece. Maybe is that what Aaron's trying to point out, that we're judging this before it's finished? Or is Aaron just trashing this thing and going, was it finished? It looks like garbage. I honestly don't know. I think that's her adjudication of this uh, particular installation. Uh, <laughs> Laura, Laura makes a really good point. She says, this is the welcome to Calgary message. Um, and it looks like the aftermath of an earthquake. Something is broken in this process. And I think that that's a really fair point. And it's like, we, we're not privy to what the panel that selects the public art is thinking. But for citizens of the city who, you know, who take these things in the context of their daily lives, you know, and, 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 um, see it as a compliment to the, the, their, the way that they feel emotionally about the city. Like, are you proud of Calgary? Are you embarrassed of Calgary? Um, to see that as like the first thing that welcomes somebody to the city, it does resemble a ruin. Like it does resemble a building that suffered a fate that, you know, the, we, we hope most buildings won't. And so rather than like, you know, you, you, I'm not suggesting that you have a, a, you know, a big bright neon cowboy waving at visitors as they stroll into town, but at least you have an easier job explaining that to like, you know, Johannes from Germany when he comes to visit. Like, oh, yeah, well, you know, we got a Western history here in Calgary, so that's a cowboy saying, howdy, partner, versus, yeah, Joe, got no idea. Uh, your guess is as good as mine with that sticks and stones there. <laughs> so Kevin says, it was not thought out, and most people do not and will not realize that it's art and travel by it 80 kilometers an hour will not ever know. Maybe been better suited for an area where people can actually stop and study it, and then they have a sign that explains the concept behind it. But all over the 1% policy is a horrible policy. Yeah. So, I mean, there's a couple different arguments going on here. Is this piece the right piece for that location? Maybe not. Is the policy to give 1% of all capital projects uh, to public art? Is that a horrible policy? That's a different argument. I don't know. I might have different opinions on both of those halves of that statement. Uh, okay, I'd like to hear them. Do you want to do you want to peel them off? I, like, because the the thing about the one percent to me is, well, why why one percent? Because you got some projects that are going to be ten million dollars and some that are going to be a hundred million dollars. Yeah, so so that's a fair enough statement. And I think what happened after it first started after the Blue Ring, City Council went back and started making some changes. They put some maximums on sure. things. But even Absolutely. still, that's even still not the point, right? Because now you're sitting there going, well, this has to be a five hundred thousand dollar work of art. And why does it have to be $500,000 work of art? Because now like we're making price a component of whether something is a viable or valuable, uh, you know, uh, commission. What am I trying to say here? Suggestion. Like why, yeah. why not instead just say, submit all your stuff, you know, we're, we're, we're gonna, uh, we'll tender the bid or whatever it is. Like give us your submissions for what you think should go at Beaufort road. And then, uh, we'll just start a bidding process. We'll buy your art auction style. Well, and, and, you know, that's a good point. So, I mean, I think if I had to wager a guess, the, the putting the percentage on, putting a minimum on it is to encourage developers to make sure that there is public art as part of it. So it encourages public art in the city, which I think is a good thing. Now, people will bitch and argue about the price tag. Absolutely. But if you don't put a minimum on it, then people are going to go, great, there you go. 50 bucks. I spent it. There's a picture in the corner of our <laughs> $70 million interchange. You know, I mean, someone someone was bitching about the fish 
at the uh, what is that I on uh, Glenmore? Complain about that, but yeah, they do. Go on. I love the fish. I think yeah. they look great. By the way, um, anyways, but that's me. That's part of public art. Public art is always going to be an opinion, but uh, the idea, yeah. So the, there's the budget idea. So yeah, you put a minimum on it, and that way people don't try to cheap out on it. But you're right. There, there does have to be some sort of realistic component to it, because otherwise, you're absolutely right. Okay, well, this piece is going to take. $50,000 to put in, right? There's fabricating people's time, all that kind of stuff weighs into it. Not this specific thing, but okay, I'm going to build a, a, a steel globe and I'm going to put it up in that location. I think it's going to cost about 50,000. The artist's going to get paid another 10. So we're at 60,000, but the minimum says 500,000. So do I have to jack up the price to 500,000 yeah, right. now? Yeah. Yeah. So that's part of the problem, right? And the other problem is people say, well, you know, how come it wasn't a Calgary company? And there's, Facets to that argument too. A lot of times the installation and the fabrication happens here in the city. So people are getting paid for that. So there is some something to that. But part of the problem I suspect, and I'm just guessing here, is that there aren't a lot of artists in Calgary who have the balls or the chutzpah or whatever you want to call it to say, this is worth $500,000 and I feel fully confident bidding on this project. And I don't feel like I'm taking a bunch of people's money or that I'm drastically overestimating what my thing is worth. Well, that's interesting. You know? Yeah, like who's you're, you're talking about? I, like I that. certainly, I mean, I do art, but I would never, in my wildest imagination, say, "Oh yeah, no, I could build you something that's worth half a million dollars." That's crazy. <laughs> that's right? not a Canadian trait, is it? Yeah, to, to, I mean, to just insert yourself into the big leagues. Yeah, yeah, and and I mean, part of it is you know the reality, and part of it is the the scale too, right? You think of you know a, a, an artist, you know, say a Mandy Stobo or somebody like that, right, who does great pieces of art. But for then to turn around and have to scale something up to half a million dollars, well, right. I mean, she I, – I can't speak for her, but that's a big jump, right? So there's probably not a ton of artists who are comfortable playing in that pond I think is part of it. So yeah, maybe the minimum has got something to do with it. Anyways, that's, uh, that's no, my that's, opinion. That's a good rant. Now, how do you feel about – oh, by the way, I think Mandy would gladly sell you a, a bad portrait for half a million dollars. <laughs> if I asked her. Yeah. <laughs> uh, if you asked her to name her price and she said, well, what's your budget, 1%? Um, well, you mentioned that the artist is from New York. I, I, want, I want to say this, by the way. I know shockingly little about this particular art installation and I'm, I'm to the point where I really don't give a shit about the, the particular artworks anymore because I do support public art and I can explain why later on. Um, but I think that the, the process is insanely flawed. But you mentioned this artist is from New York. Does that bother you? Um, only if – there were valid or better works of art that were proposed by local Calgarians. Here's part of the problem. I don't know. I don't know how many people, right. You know, put in a, a, a an RFP on this thing. Right. Yeah. Uh, I don't know how many were turned down. I don't know what the other possibilities were. We could literally be having a situation here where this was the only thing that anybody offered up that was close to fitting the bill. And that's why it got accepted. And we won't know that because I don't think the committee is super happy about Sharon. Uh, a couple of the, the people on the page here were saying that one of the things the city could start doing is actually, you know, putting up things for a vote, some kind of public vote. Right. Yeah. I read that on Reddit somewhere too. People were like, well, you know, pick the three favorite ones and put it up for a, a vote and let, let people decide. Someone else said, well, yeah, but if you put it up for a public vote, then instead of the you know sticks and stones, we get Bodie McBoatface. <laughs> well, you can, my point was, well, yeah, but Bodie would probably look better there. I don't know. <laughs> you know what? Look, they asked the question, "What should we name our boat?" 
and someone went Bodie McBoatface, and then it went nuts, right? And it's yeah. the the NHL had the same problem, right? It's like who should be uh, in the All Star game? You can write in your choice, and they all voted for the what's his face? I forget his name now, Scott, right? And it's like this is what happens when you l- give people a blank line to write on. Like this is what's going to occur. But if you say these are the three choices, and these are the artists, and this is what they said about each one. Which one do you like best? Which one would you be most proud to have outside the sewage facility or something like that? Like my wife and I rode our, <clears throat> excuse me, rode our bikes up to um, over the Glenmore Dam, right? And and there's like a water facility on the other side of that. And the building, I think it's one of the most interesting buildings in the city. I just like the architecture. It's got like sort of this art deco style to it. And it's, I think it's gorgeous. And it, it makes me feel happy because every time I drove by, uh, you know, over the Glenmore uh, Causeway, when it was just like a trail over the reservoir with my dad, and I'd look out the window and see that building, I would be like, oh, that's a really cool building. I thought it was um, an old police station, like, uh, you know, in film noir era. But anyway, beautification is important, man. It, it gives us, you know, something to connect with in our city. So I fully support the public art. I don't think that everything has to come from within the city. I would love it if Calgary artists were showcased and supported by tax dollars when when it's appropriate to do so, which is very seldom. Um, but look, if we're just saying we want the biggest, nicest thing that we can buy for half a million dollars and we're going to put it out in front of this hospital or whatever it is, then I think you should scour the world. And you should find somebody who's going to make you the biggest, nicest thing for half a million dollars. And don't make excuses. Honestly, there's nothing stopping a Calgarian artist from being that audacious and bold and making the biggest, nicest thing in the world, right? And it's like – it's my CanCon argument. Don't let the government tell you that uh, we're going to carve out a little portion of the world for you and then the rest of the world can play over here and you'll always be able to play alongside the big boys and blah, blah, blah. We'll give the kid gloves over here. It's just say, no, that's where the vipers are. That's where the piranhas are. Get swimming. Absolutely right. I was just going to say this is the same as your CanCon argument. And the the flip side of that argument as well is, uh, okay. so the city of Calgary says, oh, it has to be a Calgary artist now. So guess what every other city does now? Yeah. You can only be artists from our city. So now if you're an artist, guess what? You can't bid on anything outside of your city anymore because every other city has the same policy that you just created. (laughs) It's the same as trade, right? We're going to restrict trade only within our country. Well, guess what? Now nobody can trade anymore, right? Yeah, exactly. And that's also not the point of art. It's not to close yourself off from the world, right? It's a very good point. So the funny thing about this – and by the way, thanks to everybody. Thanks Tyler and Christian and Brian and Richard and Eric and Mark and uh, Craig, everybody, Krista, everybody who commented on this. We absolutely love your interaction on our Facebook page and so many of you interacted with this uh, thread about public art in the city. Um, the artists are in the corner right now snickering because this is the whole point of it. It's to engage people, right? It's to be evocative and to make people think and talk and share their opinions, not just about the piece, but about like the validity and about like just the, the presence of, of art in our world. We're even like, look at the Statue of Liberty is, um, and by the way, that was a great comment on your Facebook page. Please refresh it in a second. But, um, the Statue of Liberty is even being talked about by like the press se- like between press secretaries and reporters right now. And that's a work of art. It's a beautiful work of art that America is proud of because it signifies something. But it's still public art. And it's got even more art. It's got a poem, which is also art scribbled at the bottom of it that really expresses what the heart of that nation is several hundred years on. 
So this stuff is important to us, even if we say we hate it. That's just our emotional response to it, and it's our interaction with public art, which is why I support it because it makes us talk to each other. Absolutely. Uh, bang on with that. Uh, so yeah, the comment you're referring to on my, uh, my Facebook page was uh, a friend of mine. I won't name him cause he didn't, you know, didn't clear that, uh, says, uh, whatever happened to statues? Anybody remember statues? It's such a good could have point. Been, right? It could have been Norm Macdonald from the way that I just delivered that. <laughs> what about, uh, uh, what about a statue? Huh? Could have a statue. <laughs> Um, so, and, uh, my wife actually said too, she says, personally, with all the cool infrastructure out at COP, giant towers and speed demon tracks, I would have much rather seen some art that incorporated that stuff. Kind of like the fish in the underpasses thing, rather than something that detracts from looking at all of it. Uh, that said rocks precariously perched on stilts will get noticed and talked about. Um, so there's that, that part of the argument too, like, oh, well, if people are talking about it, it's absolutely excess. I don't know. In a way, I guess, but it's still kind of bullshit, right? If the only point is to be provocative, that's kind of bullshit. Uh, I'm not saying my wife's opinion is bullshit, by the way. You she just said my opinion is bullshit, though. <laughs> I, I'll say your opinion. No, yeah. no, I, that's not what I'm saying. I mean, it's great that people are talking about it, but if that's the only thing that right. they're talking Absolutely. about, yeah. then not so much in my books. But yeah, that was that was my thought too, right? You know, if it's COP, if it's supposed to represent something to do with that area, the Beaufort Road. Right. That area is about the Olympics. It's about absolutely athleticism. Why not a big skier straddling the road like the Colossus? Yeah. And I think someone, roads. I think the artist is trying to say, well, this is Pascapoo slopes and this is, you know, uh, it's like Nose Hill. This is a, a, a land that has significance to the, uh, you know, the nations that lived here before we were here. So I think that's kind of what the, the artist might be trying to say. <laughs> Having, knowing nothing about this piece of art is my interpretation, <laughs> Dave Ware. But no, I think you're right. Like, look at what people are saying about it. It's like, this is, like I think what you just said nails it. This area is the Olympics, like a, a bright coming of age for the city of Calgary in a lot of ways. Why not have a piece of art that that harkens back to that? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I mean, from from my dollar, uh, you know, the Olympic cauldron or something like that, or some reminiscence of uh, our last Olympics, or even just something that sort of talks to the spirit of sport of Winter Olympics. Right. Mm -hmm. That's what Calgary's all about. Like that we're about the winter. Greek we're about man. A great yeah. big, like gigantic Greek man naked. And I don't mean well, like a stereotypical statue, like with an arm missing. I mean like Zach Galifianakis <laughs> or George Strabalopoulos. What about Eddie the Eagle halfway across <laughs> the road? What do you think? Just above the road. <laughs> Just suspended. Brilliant. Oh, man. Um, so, okay. So we're, we're beating this to death now. But here's my other thought. And this one drove me crazy. So people on Twitter are saying, oh, well, if, you know, if you like public art, then this is what you get. You can't be in favor of public art and then, then bad mouth this art piece. And I'm like, what? really? Because I could totally do that. Oh, that's <laughs> all I've been doing, in fact. I'm absolutely in favor of having public art and I'm absolutely in favor of shit talking it when I think it looks like a piece of garbage, right? That's so too my, funny. Actually, I can do that. Shut up and I'll show you. <laughs> Hold my beer. <laughs> Which uh, actually we posted that one too. Yeah, Someone posted a picture of the blue rig. It's like, this is the worst piece of public art ever. And then a picture of the new one which says, Hold my beer. <laughs> Anyways, um, so yeah, my thought is like, okay, uh, I don't know, I don't know who your band is, Roger. Is it the Beastie Boys? Is that your band? Sure, Be uh, yes. For the sake of argument, Absolutely. that's your band. Love the Beasties. 
It's a terrible, terrible example because they're not putting out a lot of new albums. But at some point, the Beastie Boys put out an album. You listen to it and you go, yeah, that's not really hitting the mark. Like, that's not their best, you know. This might be one of their worst albums. It's totally okay for you to say, I think this album is shitty. I still love the Beastie Boys. I still think they're an amazing band. But I think this album is shitty. I can say I love public art, public art. I'm in favor of public art. I love that the city has public art. I think this thing is shitty. <laughs> Why is that not a valid opinion? Yeah, no, I, I I would like to talk to somebody who holds that opinion that you have to, what is it again? Like rephrase, like restate it. Oh, it's basically, oh, well, if you, if you support public art, you have to support what comes okay. from public art. I support. You, you don't get to pick and choose. I support street performing. I don't want to see eight-year-old girls playing the violin while their dad makes them do that. Right. <laughs> Absolutely, like, yeah. I do, like that's shitty to me and I don't want to yeah. see that. Right. And yeah, your, your music point, it illustrates it perfectly. Um, <laughs> that's just absurd. You, you don't have to like every piece in the museum and you can still go to the museum and pay your admission and say, you know, let's walk around here and get, get evoked. And, and I think the, really the big, the big crux of this issue isn't, that are we wasting money on public art? I think the big problem, the big PR issue that the city has right now is that we – like I said, we've already gone through this with the big blue ring. People were outspoken about it. If you want people to start hating public art, if you want that policy to start being questioned, just keep doing stuff like this because that's what's going to do it. People are going to be up in arms. Mm -hmm. Again, I'm not saying you know I know better than somebody else, but 90% of what's on my page – both the, the talkie page and my page and everything I've heard on Twitter, 90% of people are like, what the fuck is this? Right. <laughs> this is, this kind of looks terrible. Yeah. So it's not just my opinion. It's most people's opinion. Now, often it gets spun off into the argument. Those that supporting it mostly, not all, but mostly seem to be saying, well, the reason I like it is because it's public art and I support public art and that's okay. But you're mixing up two things here. Because like I said, it's okay to say I yeah. support public art and I still think this thing is a piece of garbage. Yeah, yeah. But the problem the city has now is that they need a win. They need a piece of public art <laughs> that costs a lot of money that people actually like so that people don't start getting outraged about this policy and it doesn't become a tinderbox. And honestly, the amount of money we're talking about, it is big sums. But that interchange at Beaufort, I think is a 70 – is it $70 million? Or is it more? Uh, well, I don't know. One percent of of fifty million, right? So, but it's capped. Remember, don't. Oh, right, that. right, right. Okay, sure. Yeah, uh, seven hundred million, or maybe it's billions. I don't know what it costs. <laughs> but keep in mind that even though we spent a crap ton on this thing, it's still a pretty small potato. So, people who are also firing saying, "Oh, get rid of the public art budget," I don't know. It's pretty small potatoes. There's a lot of crap we could cut back before we need to do that. Yeah, you know? I would just do it differently. I hear those people, and I think you're right about there's a lot more we could cut back. But just to say, like, look, it's going to be 1% of every single budget. That's cumulative, right? But instead, why don't you just say, look, last year we spent – I'm just going to pull a number out of my ass, right? Last year we spent uh, $8 million on public art. Why don't we see what we can do with $4 million next year? Okay, we're going to cut that budget in half. And instead of tying it to projects, let's find places in the city that could be beautified by a great piece of public artwork and we'll we'll put it to a, a committee or to a panel or something like that. And you know what you could do even, Dave? You could just – you could get like – community associations to to put in bids or, or to come up with this stuff. I don't think that people would look at um, 
it's not, I don't think people would be like clamoring over each other to get at the art budget, the art money. You know what I mean? Like if you've already got like in, in these Beltline communities where they've got some interesting installations, I don't think, I don't think those people would be like busting their nuts at city hall trying to get another piece of art. Whereas you've got some communities that go, look, we've got this kind of like dead space that in this, like the dog days of August turns brown and you guys never cut the grass. How about a nice statue right in the middle of that? And it might be just a different way to approach it, but it's basically to, to, to steer the conversation away from the price tag and to stop choosing works of art that are alienating people like this one is or like the giant blue ring it does. Well, that's a great point. And I mean, I've made the point too, and, and it, it, it confuses the concept of the operating in the capital budgets. But I said before too, you know, I mean, it's great that we spent half a million bucks on this thing and another half a million on the blue ring. What if we took a million bucks? And we started spreading it out amongst art education places, Wildflower uh, Art Studio, uh, North Mount Pleasant Art Studio. Start funding those things a bit more. Make the classes a little cheaper so that those artists have a chance. Open up a place where artists can go in and work, right? Yeah. Give them a little studio space. Studio space is insanely expensive in Calgary. Mm -hmm. It's prohibitively expensive for most people. Drop the price on some of that stuff. You're right. Find a block, find an alley and say, you know what, guys, have at it. Here, U10, we've uh, looked at all your portfolios. U10, you guys get together. Come up with something that's going to work for this alley. Beautify it. Make the whole thing one giant mosaic, right? Those kind of projects I think would have a lot of legs and people would be proud of that kind of stuff, right? My wife and I went to San Francisco. There's a, a neighborhood we were walking through. The entire back alley was nothing but just painted. Everything was painted. The, the garage doors, yeah. the houses, everything in the back alley. And it, it's amazing, right? It's a, it's a destination. You want to go there. No one's going to go to COP to see this thing. Nobody. <laughs> no one's driving out of their way to see the giant blue ring except to go, huh, that's a lot of money you got spent on that. <laughs> Those are not destinations. Again, it's hard to say because we don't know how that policy works. We don't know how that committee works. But that, if you want my two cents, that's probably where the problem lies right now is that, number one, they're having trouble finding people to sit on those committees yeah right or they're count discounting people who don't have enough arts training i don't know because i've never i hell i should probably just volunteer to be on one of them i don't know but they probably got all the people going i'll be on that committee i know everything <laughs> but that that committee i don't again i don't know are, are they just not getting enough bids or are they looking at the bids and doing weird shit with it maybe that's where the argument should be it shouldn't be should we fund things or not fund things it should be what is that committee doing should we have a little more oversight on that committee to make sure they're making good decisions? You reminded me of the – I like that, by the way. You reminded me of the, uh, the the shitty thing about the blue ring is that like you're on the way to the airport, which already sucks. And then you see it, right? So it's like <laughs> you've just survived the traffic of Deerfoot and you got to go to the airport. And then it's like the line, ah, fucking ring. Fuck. Uh, and then you got to park and pay too much. It sucks. Um, I want to play this. National Talkie League, podcasting into the future. As we wind things down for this episode of the National Talkie League, Dave, um, I have a question. Why do we let people like put their name on the list to go to Mars? We're letting people self-select to go to Mars when what we should be doing is just taking people we don't like and putting them on the list to go to Mars, <laughs> <laughs> right? Like we're treating Mars like it's um, it's the lower bowl at the hockey game, you know? That WestJet oh. promotion. Who wants the great seats? Like, ah, yeah. Oh. Or like it's a free upgrade to first class when we should be treating it like Australia circa 1700. 
Roger, you got a brilliant idea here. This could be a great science fiction movie, right? Where people are like, oh my God, we found this new world and it's in another galaxy and it's going to be amazing and everyone should go to it. And so they build all these giant starships and the whole population of Earth gets on them. But the whole population doesn't get on, (laughs) you see. It's a select few that decide to stay behind and now there's no pollution and now there's no overcrowding and everyone else gets sent. And when they get to that other planet, what do they discover? There's no planet there. What? Yeah. They just sent them out. They just tried to get rid of them. I thought it was going to be apes. No. <laughs> and then well, that's to, good too. They have to <laughs> then they have to fight to reclaim this planet from the apes, you see. <laughs> well, there's two sets of movies now. There you go. Mm-hmm. Got to workshop this thing. There's something here. Like, I like those movies where the rich people get to go live in, on the space station and the poor people stay on Earth. But it's backwards. <laughs> Right, like they've spent all this time and money on the really nice space station that like ten thousand of them can live on, like Elysium, for example. Right, mm-hmm. when y- instead of sp- having the space station, just have the rockets that shoot all the poor people up into space. <laughs> this is ultimately what that movie's about, right? And then like they never come back. Just tell them that they're living the dream. And then uh, if you can build a space station that can harbor life, you can fix Earth. Is that not an understood? Like, if you could yeah. create a, a, an atmosphere in a machine, surely you can do that to the planet. Elysium was so good; like, it had so much potential. Yeah, and then at the end, it just just turned into just a terrible, oh, terrible movie. I know. I blame Charto Coffley entirely. I don't see. I checked out of that one. Um, I watched it because it has Matt Damon in it, and because it's a genre that I really like. But when it was over and done with, I just sort of felt like that was kind of like, um, you know, masturbating and thinking about like a high school girlfriend. So you've broken <laughs> a couple of rules here and you just don't, you just want to pretend it didn't happen. <laughs> Love it. Love it. <laughs> I'm, I'm done, man. Uh, that's it. My, uh, my, my aforementioned clip is empty. I'm out of bullets for this edition. Well, I think we've, uh, place a lot of outrage out of the community uh we're uh we're yeah we've 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 said what needs to be said because you're such wonderful people and we love you so much for listening uh we will implore you yet again uh if you do have a few moments if you wouldn't mind going over to you know itunes and dropping a a review and uh or a you know just a, a rating reviews are awesome we really love hearing from you guys and hearing what you think it's always brings a smile to our face and a laugh to our laugh <laughs> our face a laugh to our face hole um so yeah, if you do have a chance to do that, we really appreciate that. Uh, feedback is so important to us. It tells us what we're doing right, what we're doing wrong, and uh, and uh, we'd love to hear from you guys. You bet. Thanks very much, and uh, share the podcast with your friends. Click that star if you're listening on the Overcast player. Until the next episode, we bid you adieu. You've been listening to the National Talking League. Show notes from this episode can be found at nationaltalkingleague.com. Support for this podcast comes from you. Please share it on social media, give a five-star review in your favorite podcast store, and connect with us on Facebook. On behalf of Roger Kincaid and Dave Ware, thank you.